Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. As I uh, get set up here this morning, just thank you again so much for that kind word of prayer. I really, really appreciate that. Um, again, my name is Randy. I have the joy of being a student intern here with Ecclesia this summer. I'm a student over at PTS. I'll be starting my second year this fall. Um, I've been coming to Ecclesia since last fall, and I just love this church. I love this community of people, and it really is a joy and a privilege to worship with you all on Sunday morning. So again, thank you so much for, for being here this morning. Um, as Ian alluded to, one of my favorite parts of the summer has been this theme of prayer. It's something I've been focusing on, um, exploring on my own time, and actually one of the great joys is the Sunday morning prayer time that some of us are a part of between 9.45 and 10.15 in the morning. little plug for that, if you are available Sunday mornings from 9.45 to 10.15, it would be great to see you at our prayer time. Um, and so as I thought about what I wanted to speak on today, what God's put on my heart to say, um, I really thought this theme of prayer would be a great thing to talk through. We've been in this book of Ephesians, and throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul has two very specific prayers that he prays over the Ephesian church. Um, and so what I want to do is look at Paul's example today as a church. And through his example, I think there's a lot we can learn as a church about prayer. You know, it's this complex topic. There's so much to talk about when it comes to prayer. And I'm hoping this example will help focus us in on a few important things about prayer. So the title of our message today is Paul Prays. And before we really dive in, let's take a moment to do just that. Would you all do the honor of praying? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this community. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship with you this morning. God, thank you for the gift that prayer is. And we ask that through your Holy Spirit this morning, you would lead us and guide us, work in our hearts, that your words would be clear today, God, that together we might grow closer to you through learning a little bit more about this theme of prayer. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1 to start this morning. As a little reminder of some of the context of this letter, Ephesians would have been written in the early first century to a group of Christians. This is just after Jesus' death and resurrection, they're still learning what it means to be followers of Christ, both individually and within the context of community. And one of the primary functions of this letter, primary purpose, is to promote unity among this body of believers. It's a letter of encouragement toward this body of believers. Ephesus is this large city, and it's actually the epicenter of worship for many Greek and Roman gods of the day. Um, for a while, Paul was ministering there, he had a very successful ministry, he gained a number of followers, and then eventually his ministry takes him elsewhere. And this letter, he writes back to this church a few years later as, again, a letter of encouragement. So we're going be, to begin in chapter 1, verse 15. If you have a Bible or a phone, feel free to follow along there. It's always nice to see the, the notes and the margins or the context outside the passage we'll be in. Um, you can also follow along on the screen behind me. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So there's a lot of good stuff in this passage. But the first thing I want us to notice together is that Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom for these people. If you're taking notes this morning, that's the first big point you can jot down. Paul prays for wisdom. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation has a very clear purpose. The purpose for this wisdom and revelation, according to scripture, is so one might know God better. So that one might know God better. I took a little bit of time to look up this word wisdom in the original Greek that was written this week. And the definition reads this. The wisdom which belongs to people, specifically the very knowledge of things human and divine. I love that last part, things human and divine. So the wisdom Paul is praying for here, it's not just the ability to practice good judgment and discernment. The wisdom Paul is praying for is a wisdom that leads one to know God more. See, knowing God requires a spirit of wisdom. This week I've been house-sitting and taking care of a dog for a neighbor down the road, and he's a mechanical engineer. You walk in his home, there's all these cool gadgets and gizmos. He has like 800 radios. <laughs> and right in the middle of, maybe not 800, but it's, it's quite a few. <laughs> Right in the middle of his living room is this very cool, gigantic telescope. I didn't know much about telescopes, I'm not so much of a science person, but I was looking up this particular telescope, it has an 8 inch diameter, and as far as telescopes you have in your home, this is a big one. <laughs> if you were to use this telescope outside, it would make things that are impossible to see with your own human eye become visible. And it would make things that are just a speck out there in the night sky become vivid, they become clear. And I think the wisdom and revelation Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians operates much like a telescope. See, when we try and get to know God with the limitations of our own human minds, it's like looking out at the night sky with the naked eye. There's very little we're able to learn and understand and know just with our own observation. But with the wisdom and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, when we look toward God, we're able to see more of Him, we're able to see Him more clearly, we're able to see Him and grow closer to Him than we ever have before. This is the prayer Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. It's a prayer of wisdom and revelation so that they might see God more clearly, more closely, and ultimately would know Him better. If you love the, uh, the practical application points of sermons, here's one for you. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom and understanding. Pray for that, that the Holy Spirit would give that to you in your own life, in the lives of your family and friends, in the lives of the church. I think that's something we can all do. Pray for a collective spirit of wisdom in this church so that we together might grow to know God more. Paul continues this prayer in verse 18 
in 19 by elaborating on this idea. He lists three things, three specific ways that we might grow to know more about God. He says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And I think what we begin to notice as Paul continues his prayer is the presence of all these great big power words. There's this theme of God's power becomes a primary motif in the rest of this book in the Bible. I mentioned earlier that the city of Ephesus at the time was this center for worship for a lot of other gods, other Greek and Roman gods. And one commentary that I was reading as I was prepping for this time, it said that Paul intentionally began stacking these power words, these power metaphors in this prayer because the people at the time would have been very concerned about other supernatural forces, other gods that they may have been worshiping at one time in their life. The presence of other things that people worship is a very real reality for the people in Ephesus. And I think that's why this letter of encouragement has this great theme of power. Part of Paul's encouragement to these Christians is a reminder that the God they worship is ruler over all other forces in the world. He's powerful. He's a powerful God. And the God that we see Paul praying to, the God that the Christians were worshiping back then, he's the same God that we worship today. See, our God is a powerful God. I want to read the, the second prayer in Ephesians. It's just a few verses later in chapter 3. Some people will say it's just a continuation of this first thought. And as I read it, I want you to listen for any of those power words, that theme, anything that might imply strength or greatness. So here's Ephesians 3, verse 16. That's where we'll begin. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, it's everywhere. That theme of power, it's, it's all over the place in this prayer. And I think this is the next observation from Paul's example that we can all learn from today. It's that Paul prays for power. See, not only is he reiterating over and over again that God is powerful, but through this prayer, he's encouraging Christians that as followers of Christ, we too are powerful people. As Christians, we have access to the immeasurable power of God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to that power. Back in July, there was some hype in the news about the most recent images taken by the Hubble telescope. And again, I'm not so much of a science person, but as I was 
looking up telescopes with that earlier metaphor, I came across the NASA website and I'm looking at all those images. They really are beautiful. They're striking images. And as I'm continuing to scroll, I see this note that the Hubble Space Telescope Observation Program is actually open to anyone. Anybody can apply for time to use the Hubble Space Telescope for research. Now it's a very, it's a highly competitive program. <laughs> but it's open to anyone. <laughs> if you were a scientist, you, you might have one of these very large telescopes in your home. But if you were a scientist studying outer space, you might want to use that telescope. You might want access to that power. And much in the same way, I think what Paul is conveying here is that Christians have access to a tool of immeasurable power. They have access to the power of God. The only difference is the application process isn't all that competitive. <laughs> you just have to submit a pre-approved application to God's Son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to the power of God. Looking back at the prayer in chapter 3, I want us to notice again what the function of that power is. What does Paul imply the purpose of God's power is for the Ephesians in this case? He says in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And again, he continues and elaborates. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the purpose, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The purpose of being strengthened with God's power is that God may dwell in their hearts and that they would be filled with God. Just like in chapter 1, where the purpose of God's wisdom is to know God better, the purpose of his power is to know God better, too. They're stuck with that, that telescope metaphor in describing both wisdom and power, and the reason is because they function much in the same way. Both of them function to see God and know God more clearly. And one other thing we notice when we look at these purpose statements, and I think this is super important, Paul is using relational language to describe the connection between wisdom and power and the Ephesian people. He prays for wisdom and power so that Christ will dwell in their hearts. He prays for wisdom and power so that these people will know the love of Christ. And he prays for wisdom and power so that we might be able to grasp the incredible force that is God's love. In doing so, we'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is simply that through wisdom and power, the Ephesians, I think we can take this on for ourselves too, that we would grow closer in our relationship with God. I think it's an important reminder in these two prayers that both of these things, they don't come from us. Paul isn't talking about human wisdom or human power. In both cases, it's God's work. It's God who gives a spirit of wisdom 
that's needed to get to know him personally. It's God who provides the power to know him. Ultimately, I think the truth we see in these prayers is that it's a complete act of God's grace that allows us to have a relationship with him. It's a total and complete act of grace that we as people can be in a relationship with God. See, on our own, we, we're not able to stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God. After God created the world, humankind fell into sin. And sin affects all of us. It infects the world in a way that inhibits us from having a relationship with God. A relationship with a holy and perfect God. But because God's love for the world is so wide and long and high and deep, he chose to sacrifice his son as ransom for our lives. As ransom for the life of the world. And through this immeasurable act of redemption, God made a way for us to have a relationship with him again. Our God is a God of relationship. And he wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with you. As I was thinking through this last point in the sermon that Paul prays for relationship, I kept coming back to this idea of consistency. Consistency. Maybe another word would be constant. Habit's a good word. Rhythm. Consistency in prayer. It's where I'm going to land the plane here today. You know, prayer is such a vast topic. There's countless books written about it, endless sermons on prayer. There's so many different ways to pray. But what I think God's put on my heart to share this morning is just that we as Christians ought to be consistent in our prayer life. In the first prayer we read this morning, Paul uses the language, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I keep on asking that. In 1 Thessalonians, he says explicitly, pray without ceasing. In Romans, he says to be constant in prayer. See, there's something about prayer that ought to be consistent. I think for many of us, prayer can be a challenging thing. It's confusing, it's uncomfortable, there's so many different traditions, there's so many different ways to pray. I was chatting with Jeff earlier this week about how it can be awkward in a public setting or awkward with people you don't know so well. I'm here to affirm all of that and say I think that's, that's okay. I think those are normal thoughts and feelings to have. Prayer is a spiritual discipline that grows with time and practice. I think all of us in this room are people that can grow in our prayer lives. So as I close, and as the worship team makes their way forward here, um, rather than leaving you with specific instructions on how to pray, I want to leave you with a little metaphor that I, I hope will encourage you in your own prayer life. Uh, I think we have a picture of this dog named Chaco up here. <laughs> this is Chaco. He's the wonderful... Lab, pit, boxer mix that I've had the joy of dog sitting this week. Um, you don't have to leave the picture up the whole time. <laughs> uh, he's this, this nine-year-old puppy. I still call him a puppy because he has that puppy energy. And uh, his favorite part of the day, no matter what, is always going for a walk. I couldn't say the word walk when I was at home kind of practicing this because you get all excited. And think we were going for a walk. You know, if we're up to him, we would walk all day. We have a specific kind of rhythm that we, we take. Uh, every, every day we go on at least two walks, sometimes more. 
Um, but the neighborhood Chaco lives in, I, I'm not familiar with. It has all these different back roads that sort of connect and intersect. And Chaco just loves to take any road in front of him. He goes a different way every single time. Um, I trust him that we'll, we'll get home. Um, but sometimes we go for a long walk, sometimes we go for a short walk, sometimes we go this way, sometimes we go that way. And you know, where we go on our walks doesn't really matter all that much. And as I was getting to know Chaco, I learned that the most important thing is not necessarily where we go, it's just that we go. It's that daily rhythm, that daily habit of going on walks that's important. And I wonder if prayer is a little bit like walking Chaco. <laughs> Sometimes as Christians we approach prayer not exactly sure what to say, or where to go, or what to do, or even how to get home. And again, I think that's okay. I think the important thing is that we make it a habit, a rhythm, a staple in our days and in our lives. I think sometimes the most important thing is just that we go. I believe that through this habit of consistently spending time with God in prayer, his spirit of wisdom, his mighty power, will be at work in our relationship with him in a way that draws us closer and closer to him each and every day. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. And we love that as people of this world, we have the opportunity to be in relationship with you. God, what a joy it is to be in relationship with you. God, we thank you for that gift of grace that allows us to be in communion with you. God, I pray for us in this moment, us as a church, that through your wisdom and through your mighty power, that we might grow closer to you. We as a church would grow closer to you. And I pray that as we embark on this journey of prayer, that your spirit would work in us to help us along in that daily and weekly rhythm of habitual prayer. God, would, uh, would our prayer times be fruitful and joyful, and ultimately would they draw us closer to you? Again, God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.